Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. How much better does it get? Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your audience is tuning in, your podcast will be there. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Look at us. We have less than 100 listeners per episode, yet we still make money on ads. Granted, it's not a lot, but we still make money. And finally, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. That's anchor, the thing you throw off your boat, .fm to get started. Another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I'm Bennett Conlin, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. Jack, I'm how doing are you? fantastic. I love the off the cuff change to just the JMU Sports News Podcast. Big thing. I figured I would just slowly transition yeah, I mean, since we have so few considering viewers. Considering we have a lot more avenues than just the newsletter now, we have this podcast. Um, our website, www.jmusportsnews.com. We have our Twitter, at JMU Sports News. So I think the newsletter is just for the newsletter now. I think so. I think we can transition it to JMU Sports News, which is very it's exciting. It just happened right now on the podcast for all of our 20 listeners. Breaking this news. This is big. Pretty massive stuff. And you mentioned our Twitter. Our Twitter, we're getting a lot of love this week because we've been tweeting about a JMU fan favorite, Jimmy Moreland, who's having quite the week. He hasn't played in the East-West Shrine game yet. yet, just practices so far. But he's doing a lot at the practices. What have you seen from some of those clips, videos, and, and some of the articles? I know the clips only say so much because those are the clips, and there are clips for a reason. Right. But the fact – the one where – um. It was him against an Auburn receiver, Ryan Davis. Yeah. Uh, looking at the video now, that was a fantastic play. Maybe Jimmy got away with a little bit of because Ryan Davis kind of slipped. Jimmy's right. a very aggressive corner. He's going to be a little handsy. I mean, he got burned a couple times. I remember the ECU game. He got called a lot for pass interference. But he's a fantastic corner, and I think it's showing just how, yeah, he's, what, 5'10", 5'11". He could be yeah. a real lockdown corner, and with his length and speed, he could he could lock down anyone. I think we'll see him in the NFL, and next season we may even see him more of in those dime and nickel packages. Yeah, I mean he's somebody that's really athletic, despite his his size and stature. He's not the strongest guy in the world, and not the tallest, obviously, but he is quick. He's good in space. You mentioned that he's kind of handsy. He's gonna have pass interference penalties. He's gonna have plays where he gets maybe burned on a double move or something like that. But he is somebody that has really good ball yeah. skills and he's he's quite good when he is in the right position to make an interception. He normally cashes in on those opportunities and I think that's something that makes him him interesting. Also he's known for his block kicks. 
So if you're an NFL team, you're bringing somebody in that can contribute on special teams, which when you get into the later rounds, it's one of the things they do look for. So his draft stock, from what I've read, is going up. Uh, I read something that said he was originally kind of maybe in the fourth, fifth, sixth round area, and now he's kind of had some talk of potentially getting in the second or third round. Um, I don't know how much that will really happen between now and April. Obviously, it's been two days. You don't want to read too much into two or three days, but pretty cool that he is rising up there, and I do think he's somebody that makes sense with a mid-round draft pick. He has some upside with what he's been able to do at JMU and sort of his athleticism. Yeah, I mean, taking him in the third round might be a little bit of a stretch because you could still get a more proven player. And, I mean, FCS, it's such a gamble. You see what Darius Leonard's doing with with the Colts. And Raven was Raven Green was having himself a pretty solid season at safety for the Packers until he got injured, I think, in the Seattle game. But the FCS players are just such a gamble. You can you can hit it big. You can completely strike out. So because of that, I see Moreland more in the fourth or fifth round. But I I believe that he will. He, he'll he'll play very well on Sundays. Yeah, it's a good point, and I I do kind of agree with you. There are some things that FCS players do really well. And you obviously don't want to discredit someone just for being at the FCS, but you're right. There are players like Darius Leonard and we saw what Raven green did for the Packers, but it's also important to note that there is a different competition level and going up against some of the CAA quarterbacks definitely helped Moreland with those 18 career interceptions. You know, it wasn't, he wasn't in the sec or power five conference going up against potential NFL quarterbacks for the most part. You obviously have, the occasional outlier like a Kyle Lawletta who he's faced. But, yeah, things like that. He's he's a good player. He makes sense sort of in the middle rounds because there's some upside there, but there's also some risk, especially considering his size, which, of course, you can't fully discredit him because of his size. But it's also important to note that, you know, if he's going up against a 6'4", 6'5", speedy receiver at 5'10", there's a disadvantage Yeah, he's there. not going to so, win a jump ball. He, you won't see him right. jamming a receiver at the goal line against Julio Jones, you might see him on their team's third or fourth slot receiver who's a little bit of a speedy guy. That's the guy Jimmy Jimmy's going to line up against. Exactly, yeah. He's probably a second or third cornerback or somebody who can play in a zone scheme. But, I mean, I don't expect Jimmy Moreland to be lining up against, as you said, like Julio Jones or DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins or something and, and a team expecting Moreland to lock yeah. him down. But he does have NFL potential, which is exciting. Uh, we had seen the video where he talked about wanting to put JMU on the map, and he talked about sort of the importance of representing JMU at the East-West Shrine game. What were your your thoughts on that? Do you think that's interesting to see? I'm assuming most players, of course, want to represent their school, but I'm, it's a little bit different if maybe you're representing Alabama or, or somebody who's kind of represented all Yeah, the time. I mean, correct? I, I don't know the last time JMU had a guy in the East-West Shrine game. I I don't I think they've had three, so I think it was Earl Watford and then they had Dean Marlowe, I think, went okay. as well. So I mean JMU's not really a, a name known that well at the East West Shrine game. Yes, scouts know who we are because we won a national championship, so so look at some talent down here. But overall don't really know what JMU's all about. So I think Jimmy has his work cut out for him and he's clearly proving that as he's making a lot of noise this weekend in practice, and he's probably going to make a bold prediction. He's going to have a nice little pick or something in the game. But 
I, I think this is doing great things for him, for JMU, and I think it's paving the way for players to come, particularly in the East-West Shrine game. Raven Green laid the groundwork, but I think now Jimmy Moreland is paving the road. I, that analogy lost a lot of its steam. <laughs> I think Jimmy's – and I think it's going to help Rashad out a lot next year, who is already a top talent at corner. Yeah, that's a really good point. You put in our outline is GMU low-key becoming like the defensive back U of the FCS. And I think that it's an interesting topic because there is reputation stuff where you look at somebody like a team like Wisconsin who always has good running backs and maybe they have a good reputation coming out into the NFL. Or you look at teams like Alabama who've had great players across the board, especially defensively. Just being a defensive player from Alabama is going to raise your stock. Yeah. So looking at what Dean Marlowe's done – um, he's been kind of on practice squads throughout the NFL. And then you have Raven Green making a name for himself this year in the NFL. Moreland doing this. That does help somebody like Rashad Robinson when he comes out next year. Just because it's got that JMU name, especially with those defensive backs. And I think that's something that can be very valuable. And this is something that will help future Dukes down the line. So it is good to see Moreland sort of understanding his position and really trying to represent JMU at a high level. And it's exciting, I think, for fans just to see one of their guys that they know and love getting some love from, you know, NFL draft experts on Twitter just to see that, hey, like, JMU get some recognition and Moreland isn't just a, a fan favorite in Harrisonburg. Yeah, he's he's actually good. And what he did at JMU wasn't just a fluke. He was extremely talented. He's making the – I think he's making the most out of this second chance that's been given to him. I know that storyline was played so much during the yeah. season because of how well he did, but he's making the most out of that second chance. And he's, he's making a case to be playing next year on Sundays, possibly with Raven green up in green Bay. There's a possibility of that. He could go, where's D- uh, Dean Marlowe. Is he with the uh, Panthers now? I know he's with the Panthers for a good bit. I, I'm not sure if he, I know the Bills at one point. I'm yeah. not sure who he's with he's right kind now, of but yeah. Jumped around. But I mean, he could go and line up with them. It's just crazy the amount of talent at defensive back that's come out of JMU. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting to see that. And Robinson's one that before he was hurt, Rashad was, you know, a more highly anticipated he would, prospect coming into the season than Moreland was. If, if I'm not wrong, I believe. I, Moreland wasn't really on anyone's radar. He was the second corner for this season. And as as bad as this may sound, I think Rashad's injury, if it helped anyone, it helped Jimmy the most because he had to move to that one spot, the number one corner. And he absolutely shut everyone down this season. But Rashad was a second-day draft pick, I think a third-round possibly type of guy before the season even started. Then he got injured. But I think if Jimmy can go out, have a good, more good practices, more good, possibly if he gets invited to the combine and a good pro day, I think these are a lot of ifs that have to work out. But then good season right. next year, I think Rashad might jump to a second, a second round if he as well has a solid year because I think it shows that this DAA, their offenses create good defensive backs. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's really interesting because you're right, Rashad was somebody, I think, here of sports and kind of pegged him as like a potential third-round pick coming into the season. 
and just to see somebody like Jimmy, who was probably expected to be an undrafted free agent, had a great start to the year and then sort of finished in that fourth, fifth round area is now sort of putting himself in potentially the third or fourth or second round conversation. It does, it does mean a lot for the future defensive backs, somebody like Rashad Robinson. So it's interesting and it's, it's really cool to see his draft stock rising because just as easily it could have fallen in these practices. I've followed Easton Stick, the North Dakota yeah. State quarterback, a little bit, and he's been getting kind of torn to pieces a little bit by some of these experts that have watched it. They're saying that he doesn't have a lot of arm strength, that he's hasn't been accurate, and he's been checking down constantly as opposed to stretching the field vertically. And he's a quarterback who had an incredible season for the Bison, and he's someone that was sort of rising, at least from what I have read, in potential draft stock and now he seems like someone that could be really hurting his draft stock so it's it's crazy what two or three days of practice can do and kind of a quite we're talking about how jimmy's jimmy's ability and raven out there and dean marlowe how that kind of raises the stock of jmu as a whole with their defensive right. backs i mean easton stick he's not following in the footsteps of just any old quarterback he's following right. in the footsteps of the second overall pick in carson wentz do you think that then when a scout's looking at Easton Stick, they're like, well, he's from the same school Carson Wentz went to. He won more national championships. He's more of a winner at North Dakota State. Do, are, do they kind of have these mental expectations going into it before maybe they've even seen any tape? I think so, for sure. I think that that Easton Stick's a really good quarterback. Probably, You can make the argument that he was the best player in FCS football this season. Obviously, the pieces around him really helped. Yeah. But I do think there are times in terms of his NFL draft stock that he is a bit overinflated just because there's that, well, we've seen what a North Dakota State quarterback with good movement and the ability to win has done. So I think there is definitely a little bit of the the Carson Wentz effect helping him out, which is great for North Dakota State quarterbacks. It's great that they'll they'll have that. But yeah, once you get into these games, you kind of got to, you know, put up or shut up. They sort of aren't really going to be concerned about Carson Wentz at this point. Yeah. If you can make the plays or not, they'll sort of judge you on that. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. No doubt. In other JMU football news, it's a, it's still the offseason, but I guess the offseason never really, really stops. Yeah. I, I mean, this is an old JMU football player, but John DeFilippo, now the offensive coordinator Jacksonville, he got fired from Minnesota after winning a Super Bowl last year with the Eagles. Now at Jacksonville, might see Jimmy Moreland down there in Jacksonville, possibly. Who knows? I mean, he has a 1-in-32 chance of that (laughs) one. I'll say it with every team we come across. (laughs) But this isn't even JMU-related. I just saw the news on Twitter earlier today, and I want to get your opinion of this on the record. Daryl Bevel, is that his name? I I even forgot his name. Yes, yes. I, I, I put those years, except for the Super Bowl, out of my mind because all he does is check down. Just signed. As the offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions, I want your opinion of this on the record, right here, right now. John DeFilippo, he, he's the offensive coordinator at Jacksonville. That doesn't matter. Bevel, Lions, your team, your opinion. Yeah, I like Bevel. Um, I know that he's not really um, – he's not the sort of the new age NFL guys where you're looking at like Sean McVay and that sort of thing. And, and John DeFilippo was actually somebody who – was one of these rising offensive minds, yeah. and then he really struggled in Minnesota. So it'll be interesting to see what he does at Jacksonville. But Daryl Bevel is obviously not really a rising offensive mind. He's somebody that's experienced, but he loves to run the ball, which is what the Lions have built their their offense around. So I think for the team, it makes sense. I do think there's a very good chance that the way 
the Lions are building their roster to be this run-heavy, stop-the-run, is going to become kind of a stupid strategy with the new NFL. Although, if you look, I think it's the of the top 10 teams that lead the NFL in rushing, I think seven of them made the playoffs. You look at, like, New England's up there. Kansas City, I think, might be 11. Uh, a lot of the best teams do run the ball well, but they also have quarterbacks that play at an exceptional level. Yeah. And Stafford hasn't really been there. So that's something that'll be interesting. And, yeah, I mean – It'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Obviously, the draft is big. And, and Moreland, somebody that the Lions had pegged, I'd love to see Moreland go to Detroit if he has that opportunity. They do need a, a cornerback, too. So they need somebody in that spot. He'd be an interesting person to plug in. It's going to be fun to see how it all plays out. And it's, it's interesting because we normally have these NFL conversations, and it's somewhat rare that a JMU guy comes up, as so many of them are on practice squads. You look at sort of the JMU football NFL Dukes Roundup, and they're like, you know, oh, so and so's in the Super Bowl, but it's like he's not even drafted. Uh, you could, yeah, so Richard, when Richard was there, right? He was, yeah, he won the Super Bowl, but yeah, <laughs> right, really, really cool. But it's it's better when you see, or at least more interesting, I think, from our perspective, where we're sort of talking about this, if the guys are on the field getting drafted in the NFL. So personally, I really like to see sort of what we've seen here the last few weeks with some of these guys potentially getting drafted. But, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much our football roundup for now. Um, I guess next week we can talk a little bit about what actually happened in that East-West Shrine game yeah, or whatever we do our our next podcast, depending on that schedule. But I guess we'll get into hoops a little bit. We'll start with men's basketball. So they've won two in a row. They were 7-9 wow, and 9-9. Wow, two in a row, back-to-back wins. <laughs> it's actually kind of impressive <laughs> considering what they had done previously. So have you seen anything in particular that has sort of helped them in these these two wins? Obviously, the College of Charleston win is significantly more impressive than a, than the win over Towson. But... I have two words for what I've seen out of JMU, and that is Darius Banks. He's been yep. on absolute tear overall on the entire season. He's averaging 13.8 points per game. That's third on the team. In conference only, he's averaging 15.6. That second on the team in front of Stucky Mosley, he's shooting a scorching 51, uh, 51 around, a 52% from the three. And the team average, they're only at a 35.5%. So he's high above that team average. He gives them a huge spark. And I think we said it last week, Shane Metlin said it in the DNR, when he scores, they win for the most part. Yeah, I think they're like 9-3 and three when he gets above 10 points or something and 0-6 and oh and when he doesn't. So it seems like you would just feed him the ball. But, yeah, no, I mean, he's a great player. And what stands out to me the most is his efficiency. He seems to get 20 points on like 10 yeah. shots a lot, which is crazy. And some of it's obviously, of course, he gets to the free throw line a good amount. So when you're doing that, it makes it easier to score without putting up you know shots from the field. But that efficiency is really important because there are way too many times where you'll have Stucky or, or Matt Lewis and they'll maybe get 20 points or close to it, but they're taking 15 to 20 to 25 shots depending on the game. And then, of course, the point total looks great, but they're not really doing it in an efficient manner. Maybe they're turning the ball over, not shooting a great percentage from three. With Banks, he's getting 22 points on 10 shots. And when you can do that, when you can you know limit the number of possessions and be really efficient in that, it gives you a much better chance to win. And I think that's why they're so good when he scores a lot is because when he scores a lot, he's not really taking a ton of shots. He's just being really efficient with his possession. I'm doing some quick math to figure out 
just his numbers. Yeah. So he takes <laughs> so I'm doing it as I talk and that's probably not the best. Yes. So he makes seventy two field goals a game. That's way off. I can't I gotta type it <laughs> one thing at a time. So I was gonna say that is that's a hell of a stat. He makes he's shot, he's made. Here we go. Start now. Here we go. Made 72 field goals this season. He's attempted 149. That's at a 4.83 field goal percentage. On average, he's attempting roughly. Well, he's attempting four. He make. God, I can't talk. Just cut this all. <laughs> when I edit this, I'm going to cut this all and re-record it. <laughs> he hits four shots a game. He takes only eight. Averages yep. 14 points a game. That's pretty wild. Woo! Got that out. Yeah, I mean that's that's so impressive that he's getting so what he's getting fourteen points basically on eight shots. Yeah, that's awesome. And I mean that's something that. How many free throws has he taken this season? He's taken seventy-seven free throws, second only to Matt Lewis. Yeah, when they're efficient and they have him as one of the best scorers, they're a really good basketball team. Um, and they were able to beat Towson without Dwight that Wilson. Who's coming off an injury might play. I know they're a little bit questionable on whether he'll play against Delaware on Thursday. Um, he's a big player for them because he's a good rebounder and he takes up some space in the paint. But yeah, it was a good win against a bad team. They were down 10 yeah, at halftime, came back. I think they outscored Towson by like 19 in the second half. So really good all around. Um, and they've, they've shown some signs of life, which I thought they were kind of dead for a little bit there. Uh, they're on a big losing streak. When they dropped to seven and nine, I think I said that they wouldn't, or maybe they even dropped to seven and eight, but whatever it was, I said they wouldn't get above 500 again the rest of the season. That was my prediction. They're at nine and nine. They've got a chance that if they go to Delaware and win, they'll get above 500, which would be quicker than I would have expected them to <laughs> if they were going to do it. So they're proving me wrong a little bit. I'm happy to admit that. But no, I mean, they're, they're kind of a, a tough team to read. Yeah. Because they do things like this, where they do have these great spurts, and then they'll kill you with a terrible loss that doesn't make any sense. They'll so what are they'll lose to Fordham you know, seventy five forty eight, right, right. So what are you seeing from this team going into the next two road games at Delaware at Drexel? Do you think they can get something going? Do you think they'll continue and get a winning streak going, or do you think it might be back to the usual loss? I think. They'll go on the road, lose to Delaware, and then beat Drexel. I, I just that's how I feel it's going to go. I would love for them to go out and win both of them, but I just don't see that happening. Uh, I think Dwight Wilson's going to be big. He's a guy that averages 13 points a game in conference play, and he's been huge as of late. I think he's averaged a double double in the last two games or three games he played in. Yeah. So he's he's a not just a physically big guy, but a a big guy in the, in that lineup. He he adds such a, a grit to him, and when you don't have him, your rotation kind of gets a little messed up because Devell's really your only other big guy you can go with. But that that's besides the point. These next two games, I think they're going to go one and one on him. If they can go two and zero, oh, that's great. If they go zero oh and two, I wouldn't be surprised. Yep. Yeah, no doubt there. And we've got on our outline some two early season awards. So what do you have for some of those? Should we start with maybe player of the year, even though, of course, it's our player of 
the halfway point for JMU so at this I point. So I counted it's a little bit past. I was going to call these the midseason awards, but we're a little bit yeah. past it, and you yeah. can't call it the non-conference player of the year. Right, because we're, we're already there, yeah. into the conference play. So, you know, just two early season awards. We can go back and adjust these. I give the MVP of this season, player of the year, and I think Loki making a case for CAA maybe first team. I'll go there. CAA first team making a case. Darius Banks, most important person, best player on this team. I did not think I was going to be saying that at this point in the season this year. Yeah. I would agree with that. I think that he's got to be your guy. He's been the most impressive. And he is making a good run, I think, for CA first team as well. I would say that Justin Wright Foreman for Hofstra, he's gone off in terms of scoring. He's probably, at this point, seems to me like he'll be the the lock, especially if Hofstra keeps playing the way they are for CA players of the year. But I think there's on a comp- they, we'll, we'll talk about yeah, them they've looked really the good. Boards, but, man, are they a scary team. They've looked really good. All right. Should we go with most impressive win? Ooh, most impressive win. That one. It's between two. I think everyone knows what two I'm talking about. But I'm going to give it to Radford. A receiving votes Radford team beating them by seven. Yeah. I was considering that and considering, um, I think, the one you were looking at, too. The College of Charleston win, of course, recently. I think the Radford one for me was more impressive too. I was just really impressed with the way they played the entire game in that one. Yeah. It seemed like they put together a really complete performance when they needed it. Obviously they're on a big losing streak when they beat the college of Charleston, but they got up crazy early immediately. And then they did let Charleston back in the yeah, game. They were up 11 so for, at one point and next thing yeah. you know, they're down two. Right. So I think for that reason, I was slightly more impressed with the Radford game. I know that they kind of had let Radford hang around on that one too, but I was just the way they played the convocation atmosphere, convocation center atmosphere seemed really good. And so that was one that, that stood out to me as a big non-conference one, especially with what Radford had done against, I think they beat Texas and Notre Dame in the non-conference. Yeah. According to transitive property, that win right there is why yes. we are better than Duke. Um, Yes, some great work God, that was, by you on our Twitter account. That took me probably forty-five minutes. <laughs> like it's hard because you have to find like a bunch of yeah. You got to click through schedules. It gets crazy. Yeah. Full disclosure: I was going through. I was like, okay, so Syracuse lost to this person, and that they. I have to find another Big South team that matches that to go to an ACC team that. And I was just like, oh, this is crazy. And then I, I but yeah. Um, worst, worst loss of the season. The most disheartening. You watch it and you're like, this team is doing nothing this year. The Fordham loss was really disappointing. So I think that one probably stands out as one of the most, but I'm going to end up, I'm going to say Elon. That's a team that isn't very, yeah, I'm going to say that's a game you have to win. I think they scored the first 11 points of that game. They went up 11, nothing and then ended up losing to Elon early in the conference season. To me, that one really hurt. It was a game they needed to win, even though it was on the road. That's the kind of road game you have to be able to get done. So that one stood out to me and was the most disappointing. So, yeah, Elon's a disappointing one. Yeah, UNCW's double OT game where it was a little bit of a controversial call near the end of one of the uh, the first OT, maybe even it was regulation. And, right. yeah, the Fordham loss stung. That one hurt. 
but I don't think any of them hurt more than the ODU loss. You only could put up 11 points <laughs> in 20 minutes of action. You shot 19% from the field. You were 0 for 3 from 3, 1 for 4. You were out-rebounded only by 3. Okay, that's not that bad. But you only put up 11 points. That's the worst loss on the season to me. Most disheartening. That was an incredibly bad first half. And I, I almost blocked that game out. But that was also on sort of the the worst day of the year, oh, so to speak, for JMU sports fans. That's when JMU football lost to Colgate. I think the men's soccer team lost to Michigan yep. State in the NCAA tournament. So that was the trifecta where JMU fans were really down on themselves after that. And that was the last game of the day when they just completely laid an egg. So there was, oh. there was certainly some disappointment with that loss. I was scrolling through the JMU Sports News Twitter, and I saw the tweet from that day, and it said, football loss, men's soccer loss, but don't worry, men's basketball can salvage the day. <laughs> and I just I wanted to quote tweet it and just say, man, boy, did this tweet age well, because I think that's the last thing they were doing that day. It was one of those days, just a real rough one for JMU fans. Yeah, so it's it's interesting to see that the team has won the last two games, that they are kind of fighting back. I think I sort of expected them to fold a little bit. Um, No discredit to the team or the players. I know they fight really hard. I just thought that maybe they'd be demoralized after starting 4-0 and dropping to 7-9, and nine, but kudos to them for beating the College of Charleston yeah. and rallying back and, against Towson. And he, looking at this schedule, I have it pulled up on my computer and just looking at it, you lost at William & Mary by 5, you lost by 3, lost by 3 in double OT. Those are your three conference losses. And it, it feels a lot like last year again where you're just dropping these close games late. But also – this team, you can look at it and just say we could be five and zero right now in conference very easily if we hit a shot here and a shot there. That's what's so interesting is it's really hard to judge the team because you look at all the losses like the Citadel. I think they lost in overtime in that they game. Could have won that to go to five and zero. Most of their losses outside of the Fordham and Old Dominion blowout losses have been reasonably close in games that they were in. So that's a good sign. The issue is also that, you know, Elon's not a great team. UNCW is not a great Coppin team. State. Right, right. There's so many teams here that aren't that good. And regardless of outcome, they're very, very close games. So obviously winning that would be more important. But when the schedule, and I'll see what ESPN has it right, but when the schedule is so easy and you're 9-9 nine and nine with two wins over Division three teams, that's where it starts to get a little iffy in terms of, how much the team is really improving, but it's also, I guess you kind of got to look at it with a grain of salt a little bit and, and understand that JMU hasn't had a, a great basketball program for decades and that, you know, they're trying to take slow baby steps to get back. I mean, and you get, if you can take two wins from a D3 school, you get two wins from a D3 school. I mean, the way they scheduled this season, I don't think they were getting an at-large bid no matter what, really. Exactly. Just take those wins and make the record look better strength of schedule right now looking at their strength of schedule um sitting at this hasn't been updated in a while but with everything accounted for they have the three and 18th hardest schedule 
Yeah, there's a an ESPN three hundred fifty three. The ESPN BPI index, which is like a basketball power index. They updated that today and they've got JMU as three hundred and forty third out of three hundred and fifty three teams <laughs> in terms of strength of schedule. Some of that is the metric isn't isn't really perfect, but also I mean it's it's definitely regardless of the ranking, I think you what'd you say three eighteen for what you were looking at? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean like they're definitely one of the worst probably fifty schedules in the country out of, you know, three hundred and fifty something. So I mean that's that's rough, but they are making some improvements. I was getting interested in hearing your take on this. I know that sometimes people, at least what I've read, some Breeze stuff, some DNR stuff, some fans, whatever, it seems game to game there are huge reactions or overreactions to whether the team is failing or improving or whatever. So how do you sort of try to rate this team game to game? Can you rate them game to game, or do you try to look at more of the broad picture? I think with this team, you have to – I think in a weird way, you have to go game by game because each game's just so independent of the others. Like, we were looking at the game right after the UNCW heartbreak double OT to open up that homestand. Then they come out and destroy College of Charleston for, what, 38 minutes of that game? Right. So you just have to go game by game with this team. But in terms of – reading things that might be a little bit overreacting. I know I've jumped on and off this team's bandwagon probably every single game. I've jumped on, then back off, then on, then back off. So it's just hard because you can watch this team and the second half of that Towson game, I I would argue they could beat anyone because they were just in sync. Their shots were hitting. They were rebounding the ball. They were playing hard. But in that first half, you were watching it and you were kind of like, uh, what's what's going to happen? Who's going to kick it up? What? Where's this going, you know? Exactly, yeah. And I think that's the one thing I will say is in the past two seasons, when they played at their best level, I didn't think that their best would beat the best of every CAA team. And now I'm starting to think that when JMU is really at its peak, when they're moving the ball and they're rebounding, like you said, they're playing hard, Banks is involved, they're getting good looks from three, I feel more confident this season that they could beat a team like Hofstra or the College of Charleston, even when those teams are playing at a high level too. And I think that's something that does show there is some improvement going on. My issue is just that consistency. Is it something that they're going to be able to consistently do? Because like you mentioned, if they play consistently like they did in the second half of that Towson game this season, they probably, what, they played 18 games? They'd probably be like 14 and four. Yeah. Maybe even better. Because the schedule is so easy. Yeah, you, if they played the way they played that second half of the Towson game, I think easily 14 and 4, maybe yeah. 13 and 5. But the, I think there are two key differences in the first half and the second half of the Towson game. And really, this is kind of just a microcosm of the entire season for this Dukes team. First, the rebounding was so much better in the second half. In the first half, they were out-rebounded 18 to 8 which you're not winning a game being out-rebounded like that. And then the second one was just ball movement. So in the first half, they were content with Darius, Matt, and Stuck just kind of chilling outside the three-point line. They were, pro- they were trying to get it into their big guys, but 
Towson just seemed to have that kind of blocked off. So they were passing it around the key, passing around the three-point line, just trying to get something, and they kind of settle for jumpers. But then the second half, they were a lot more aggressive going at Towson, getting guys in foul trouble. I think two of them fouled out, maybe just one. But that aggressiveness, I think, is what is key to them. Because when they're aggressive, it gets the con. This is strictly home home game speaking. Yeah. When they're aggressive, it gets the home crowd into it. It gets them going. They feed off of it. The crowd feeds off it, and it gets crazy in the convo. And that's how they win games. That's my that's my dissection of it. Yeah, I would agree. I think a lot of it for them is energy. Um, and I think when they're energetic and aggressive and attacking the rim and things like that, I feel like the ball movement gets a little bit better. They're able to space the floor, get better looks. And when they're engaged defensively, they can be a pretty good defensive team and a pretty good rebounding team. You look at Guys like Zach Jacobs, who doesn't even play a ton of minutes, and comes in and gets six blocks. Like first time like that that's is, happened is, since two thousand. I think January six, two thousand twelve, against Mason. The Brady era was the last time it happened. Yeah, I mean that's that's a really long time to have somebody coming off the bench and doing it. Yeah. Shows that there's talent on this team. Like there's not a lack of talent. They have pieces. They could compete for a CAA title this season. And it's just a matter of whether they're, you know, playing at their highest level or not. And I think that that lack of consistency is the real concern. But I'm excited for these next two games just to see what does this team have in it because they've rallied back from that 7-9 and nine start to get back to 500. Do they have what it takes to go on the road and push ahead or are they going to go on a little losing streak here where they struggle to win away from home they struggle without some of that crowd support? Um, and, it's going to be a big test for them. Yeah, and it's so key too because – if they struggle during this part of the season, in the next one, two, four, seven games, I could have done that math a lot easier than the way I just did it. In the next seven games, they only have two home games. Yeah. So if there's any a point in the season, it's right here to go two and five. Exactly. They've got a bunch of games coming up against some of the better teams. I know they've Hofstra, got a few with Northeastern. College. Yeah. They have Hofstra, Northeastern, and College of Charleston three in a row. Granted, two of them are at home, but that's a tough, tough part of your schedule right there. That's number one, number two, number three, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, those are those are the three most competitive and probably the most difficult teams. You look at Delaware's got an OK conference record, but I don't think anyone really puts Delaware in that class right now. And, yeah, that's, that's important and something that I think people forget is that JMU's two and three in the conference right now, and some of those losses are to bad teams. And the issue with that is they still have to play the good teams. Yeah. So that's where the record could get ugly. So they're at a point right now where they're 9-9. Nine and nine. They could easily make a run here, show something, and finish the season really strong, build confidence in Lewis Rowe era and the recruiting class next season. Or they could go the other way. They could <laughs> go back down and have people really concerned. So at this point, it's really hard to tell. But it'll be fun to monitor and just keep an eye on what this team's doing. But it's it's cool to see them fight back. I think just for their sake, I know I'm sure it's tough for those guys to lose as much as they have. So it's it's good to see those players fight back and continue to battle throughout the season, regardless of the results. You know what team doesn't have to fight back though, because it seems like everything is going right for them right now. That would be the women's team, which is unbelievable. That. I, I put in the, the, the outline for Northeastern, the Northeastern beatdown. Could we call it the Boston Massacre? No, we couldn't because it didn't happen in Northeastern, I realize, and that's probably not correct to say. So I'll take that. <laughs> However, 16 total points for Northeastern in the second half. That led 
to JMU, I'll say it, an absolute and utter beatdown of Northeastern, supposedly the second best team in the CAA right now. And if that's the case, I don't know about that. Beat them 84 to 49, their highest scoring total in CAA play. This has been just a really impressive team. And we tweeted out earlier that they're, according to the College Insider poll, they're the number 11 mid-major in the country. They're a very good team, and they do so many things well. They've got Kamaya Smalls playing at a high level. They have Logan Reynolds, of course, is a very solid point guard for this team. Kayla Cooper-Williams down low. Lexi Barrier was phenomenal against Northeastern. To see the whole team clicking like this is special. And When their offense is going well, which it was against Northeastern, they're really, really tough to beat. Now, they do have some games where they're more defensive. Their offense isn't great. Um, they still win those games because their defense is one of the best defenses in terms of points allowed per game in the country. So it's a team that I think has a really good ceiling, and I think they've got a pretty high floor, too. I think the worst-case yeah. scenario for this team is still a really good season. It It's just overall as a team, this season they're shooting uh, 402 from the floor. They're holding their opponents to 32-4, 3-2-4 field goal percentage just absolutely crazy compared to last year they're shooting 388 and holding opponents to 370 yeah i mean that's a drastic improvement shooting 40 percent from the floor and holding teams to 32 is is really good i mean it's an, obviously eight percent better which is impressive and they're significantly better this year from three point range which i think is a huge thing for them to see kamaya smalls lexi barrier yeah and jackie benitez at times Knocking down threes. Yeah, she looked good on a few of those shots, and she's somebody that can score a lot quickly. So, I mean, I don't – I think that they have a legitimate chance. I know there's still 14 conference games left to go undefeated in conference play. I wouldn't bet on it, but I do think there's a possibility just because they played Drexel and Northeastern, who by most accounts are the second and third best teams, whoever you want to put – at two and three in the CAA, and they beat both of them by double digits, including um, I think it was a 16-point road win against Drexel. Yes. So when you when you look at those matchups and those wins, they've already taken on two of the best teams in the conference, and they beat them by a combined 51 points, I think, which is just absurd. <laughs> that's just that that that's scary. And right now, the second best team in quotes. I don't know how true it is. I haven't. Right. watched a lot about Towson. But the second best team is Towson. That game's going to be on February 3rd. It's going to st- the, the first of the series will be at Convo. So I think that's really the next game this yeah. team has circled and is and is working towards. That's not saying they're going to overlook these next guys, but that's just to say that that's their next big game. Yeah, it's a good point. Towson's been pretty scrappy. I think they actually had it Northeastern its first conference loss the game before Jamie played the Huskies. Yeah, first losing streak for Northeastern this season, too. Yeah, yeah, so that's going to be interesting to watch. But I think there's a chance this team really dominates conference play. They've won the first four conference games by a combined 99 points. They gave up one late basket against Northeastern, which kept them from getting over that 100-point threshold through four games. But they've looked great. Sean O'Regan's got a really good squad going. They're recruiting well. I saw, I think they had a couple players, a couple commits that were nominated for like McDonald's All-American stuff out of quite a few nominations. I don't really know how that process works, but Shane Metlin at the DNR was tweeting about it. It seemed like there were 
8,000 names or something across like <laughs> men's and women's. So I don't know. I think it was they, 800. If I was it 800, it was some, a big it was number. something insane. However, they narrow it I down. Be a McDonald's all American. If I put a little bit of work in. Yeah. I don't know how they narrow that down, <laughs> but it's just, it's weird. So not really. Yeah. Yeah. It's 800 plus players that they have as nominees. I rounded up by 7,200. <laughs> a couple <laughs> A couple hundred there. No, but they, I mean, that's a lot of players. So I have no idea how they really narrow that down. But still being, you know, nominated in those 800s, really impressive. So they're recruiting well and adding to a team that's loaded with juniors that are going to come back. And they've got some really good young players like Tory Harris has been impressive. Madison Green. I'm, I'm all in on this team. I think they're a really great squad. Yeah, I I, I there's not really much more we can say. We thought the loss of Kelly Casciuto would hurt them a yeah. little bit more and I don't think it has I think if anything they're they're a stronger team than the two games we saw Kelly in yeah I think they've actually kind of benefited defensively with sort of how they've bonded and how Devin Merritt has played yeah that's re- really really impressive and I don't even know how many high school players are on the country where I was thinking 8,000 nominations that'd be basically every college player <laughs> who's ever picked I mean high school players ever picked <laughs> up a ball gets nominated good lord <laughs> If it was 8,000, 8, our, our names would be on that graphic. It was 8, they would. I know I saw the graphic, and I saw so many names, and I saw like eight and zeros. I was like, that's 8,000. <laughs> they po- they, they'd say, you guys picked up a ball in a year wrecked and played an intramural game or two. Uh, why don't you guys just go ahead and get on the graphic too? Making that graphic, and for those of you that don't know, the graphic had, I think, all the names on it. With 8,000 names would have been absolutely yeah. impossible. 800 is – could you imagine? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's only 800 words. <laughs> Well, no, what, 1,600 words because... Yeah, because the last name, yeah. But still, just looking at it, oh, my God. That looks like... I feel bad for that intern, also because I'm probably going to be that intern in six months. It's, yeah. And it's it's also something that, like, I feel like if you're the player, you're probably looking it up, but not that many other people are going to look at the names. So you're putting all this effort in to squeeze these bad boys in, and it's it's really not getting viewed all that well you could probably put gibberish like random words and most people wouldn't even know it's i'm scrolling through all the mentions and everyone it's like family just i don't yeah. even think the players know they're on it because <laughs> they're adding their kids saying congrats at yeah. like, i, don't I found you noticed if you didn't like, say that i found you on the list of eight hundred thousand names one person even circled it and made a pick stitch with all of like the pictures of their wow. kids Congratulations, That's... Casey Shedrick. Let's see where he's going. Oh, I love that. I love that when they're like tweeting the congratulations. Like, why don't you just tell your son? Oh, he's going to UVA but... for basketball. Uh, he's pretty good. He's probably good. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> impressive. They look great. They crushed Tech last night or two nights ago or something. Yeah, it was last night. My friend had yeah. was in the three hundred section. This is completely off topic, but real That's quick. okay. My friend was in the three hundred section. And she got moved down to courtside for the second half. I guess, like, their Shenandoah best seats in the house type of promotion. It sounds pretty nice. I was like, wow, I would courtside at the UVA game? I wouldn't say no. No, that'd be awesome. You get courtside at the JMU game in those, like, weird airplane chair seats. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if that'd be comfortable. I'd, personally, I'd feel like everyone's staring at me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I always look at those people and I, I watch them. I'm just like, who are you? How do you get these? And you could tell they kind of feel awkward because they, they're they not like fully relaxed. They're kind of just like, huh. 
one time I interviewed Mike Dean in those. I can't remember if I've told you this or said this on the podcast, but it was really uncomfortable. <laughs> you both were sitting in it? He was sitting in it, and he wasn't facing me. And they, whoever the SID was, it might have been like Jason, and they were like, hey, Bennett's here for the interview. And I was still behind him, and he didn't turn around. He's like, Bennett, take a seat. And he was sitting in one of them. And then I just sat in the other. I was like, this is the weirdest experience I've ever had in my entire life. I've had I, – I interviewed Mike Dean for a story too. And, yeah, he was, he was an interesting guy to say the least. He's a good interview. And he also – I've never seen a man walk more than he walks. So he's got to be in tip-top shape. God, he he gave such quotes and he just – Yes. He – and then he left. It was sad. He was the one holdover from the Brady era. Probably only because they needed him to keep Polly Shatkiss happy. <laughs> yeah, they needed his, his offensive genius. God, there are so but... many Eastern European players on that team. I'm looking at the 2016-17 roster. And I, oh my God, this team was, whoo! Tom Vadonovich, Dmitry Karbakapa, <laughs> Johan. It did. Yeah, yeah, he was good. It was, um, it was weird. Like, why was he recruiting so many foreign? I doesn't. I don't know. It was weird because he talked to our class one time, and he was like talking about how he was excited. And I might be embellishing this a little, but he was talking about how he was excited to talk to a recruit tomorrow, and it was like the number four rated shooting guard from like Finland. We're all like, wait, what? It's like, yeah, this guy's he's something. I'm like, are you sure? Number four in Finland. Are there four shooting guards in Finland? Who's ranking? Like (laughs) so many questions. I've, yeah, that's gosh. Oh, Ramon Snowden. But yeah, what? what? Serbia, Haiti, um, Serbia, New Zealand, (laughs) Uh, Lithuania. Uh, it's like, dude, recruit like Northern Virginia, but yeah. recruit North Carolina, recruit America. <laughs> it was so strange. Well, he did. Oh, one time I talked to him because I, I had Lonnie Walker went to the high school near me, and he played at Miami, and I was drafted by the Spurs, uh-huh. and he was like a top twenty ESPN recruit. And kind of before he had blown up a little bit, but sort of as he was gaining popularity in the high school ranks, Brady said that he tried to get him in, and the coach sent like a different player that like wasn't recruited <laughs> and anything. He's like, "Yeah, it was kind of upsetting." And I was like, "What? Like, how do you how do you let him send the wrong?" Guy? Tried to pull a fast one on you. Oh my god! <laughs> I know. Oh, it's like you him? go from like a top fifteen recruit to some kid who's going to play D three ball. Like, oh, here's him. Like, why is he not six six? How is that <laughs> or athletic? I don't. I don't really know how it happened. It didn't make any sense. It seemed like he kind of got got bamboozled, but. Yeah, that was among the many interesting conversations I've had with Jamie coaches. Uh, Jamie coaches never fail. They don't. They're, they're an interesting crew. Huh. But yeah, we've we've rambled yeah. now. But I think I think that's that's all we have today. We got through the Moreland stuff, and then a little men's and women's basketball. We may, for those listening, we may change to an every other week schedule. But I guess we'll put that out on the Twitter and all that the stuff. The tweet machine. Yes, yes, yes. I think those are the only potential changes, but yeah, 
another great episode. Beautiful. Everyone, check out our, what's it called? Our website, www.jmusportsnews.com. Check us out on Twitter, at jmusportsnews. And if you don't want to listen to the podcast through our website, you can listen to our podcast through Anchor FM. Just download the app and search uh, JMU Sports News or JMU, I think JMU Sports News. It'll come up. Easy way to do it. Lots of podcasts there. You can get it. Um, But whichever way you guys listen, we appreciate it. And have, wait, what, what day is it? Wednesday. Have a wonderful rest of your Thursday. See ya. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.